but it starts with paying attention, paying attention to your thoughts, paying attention to how you're speaking to yourself, paying attention to the places that you go when things get really difficult and catching it as quickly as possible and being consistent as possible to make your new choices, behaviors, thoughts, making that a new habit. This is Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 270. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, Ask Kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad you are here. I just finished recording a quick Instagram story where I was talking about my favorite snacks. I, every day, pretty much have kombucha and pirate's booty. I cannot quit you, pirate's booty. What is it about that stuff? The white cheddar? I don't think they have any other flavors. I think they nailed it with the one flavor and... They were like, why are we going to try to fix something that isn't broken? So it's just, oh my gosh, it's so good. They're like corn puffs for those of you that don't know what they are. And they're not a sponsor. This is not an advertisement. It's just a genuine, true love for the snack food. (laughs) This pirate's booty. Anyway, I just recorded a quick Instagram story and I was laughing to myself because it was very loud and crunchy. And I usually just try to shove so much into my mouth at one time that some of it falls on the floor. And then my dog anxiously awaiting at my feet when she sees me get out the pirate's booty because she knows what's going to happen. She knows exactly about falling, raining pirate's booty, corn puffs, and she gets to have a couple. So as I said in my Instagram story, it's a win-win for everybody. Anyway, that is not what I came on this week to talk to you about. Although who doesn't love talking about snacks? I sure do. But today I'm talking to you about the inner critic One of those things that I continuously circle back to over and over again here on the podcast because it's something that we all struggle with. And I'm going to start there and just remind you that it's something that we all struggle with. Every single one of us struggles with the inner critic. But before I jump into today's episode and the content, I wanted to remind you that we are still accepting applications for the Mentorship Masterclass. We have a few spots left. We don't start until March 12th. So if you've been thinking about it, if you heard the episode with the two women who were graduates of my last cohort, Carissa and Courtney, and your story was similar to theirs, or you heard some similarities, or you've seen my emails coming through, and if you haven't clicked over, just go see, just go read about it. See if it's something that you might be interested in. Let me just tell you real quick, this is for women. I I think almost every woman I've gotten on the phone with who's applied I've said, this is definitely for women who aren't fucking around anymore. This is not a beginner's course. This isn't, you know, if you're just looking to join a program that's like about conquering your goals or starting a podcast, or it's not that kind of program. It's for women who are ready to be in a small group. That means a lot of attention from me. You can't hide, ladies. You can't hide, but this is sure to change your life. If you're ready to be in a program that is science-based tools, a step-by-step methodology for shame resilience, vulnerability, having better relationships, more self-trust, 
getting to the bottom of those pesky behaviors, you know, inner critic, perfectionism, hiding out and isolating, numbing out, triggers, knowing when you get triggered, all the information's over at yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship and all the logistics are on there too. There's a workshop retreat here at my house that's a bonus, lots of presents that I send you. It will change your life. I know I already said that, but it's true. It's really true. There's something that happens when a group of women come together and they commit to something this big. I swear, I've seen it so many times. Mountains are moved. But if you think it's for you, head over to yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship, fill out an application, and we'll be in touch, and let's chat. I'd love to have you. All right, now on with our regularly scheduled program. All right, all right, all right. So I wrote about the inner critic in both of my books. If you've read either or both of them, you can't escape me talking about the inner critic. And it's so foundational, right? The way that you speak to yourself, the thoughts that run through your mind, and even how you speak about yourself to other people matters. It matters significantly. I can tell you from personal experience when I started working on this, this was one of the first real tools that we learned in my coach training. And it blew my mind that we can actually learn to manage this. And that is really the first thing I want to get out of the way for y'all. So this is not about completely eradicating your negative self-talk. I hear this a decent amount when women tell me what it is that they're wanting to do in regards to their personal development goals. They'll say things. I hear a couple of things where I'm always like, huh? Okay. We need to chat. I hear, I want to get to a place where I'm fearless. And I also hear, I want to completely get rid of my negative self-talk. Neither of those things are possible. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Trust me, you want to have some fear in your life when you need it. That's for another podcast episode. But in regards to the inner critic, the win looks like this. When you have gotten to a point where you can recognize quickly that you're in that negative self-talk cycle. And the way that I like to talk about this is that you move to a place of neutrality. So what that means is that you recognize it quickly and then you're just acknowledging it, okay? You are not trying your best to make it go away because again, that's just not possible. Even the most evolved people, the people who have been working on themselves forever and ever, amen, still have an inner critic that gets chatty every once in a while. What they have learned is how to manage it. A couple of other things too that I'm going to tell you about in just a minute. They also, you know, they, one, they don't try to make it go away completely. They know that it's just there and they learn to, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're like friends with it, but they're inner critic. Sometimes they are. It really depends on whatever works for you in terms of tools and what resonates with you. But people have just learned how to live with it and manage it and not let, not let it take you down. Don't let it take you down. Don't let it define your worth or your value that kind of good stuff. All right. The second thing is that they don't try to beat it to death. In my second book, I said something like, you know, we can't, we can't bury our feelings alive and expect them to die. It's the same. Well, I should say it's similar with the inner critic. You can't beat your inner critic by 
you know, turning the tables on it. So if you're someone whose inner critic is especially difficult and is sort of a bully to you, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people where, where this is their reality, where it's, it's, um, you know, a bit of self-loathing or it's full on self-loathing you turning around and using the same weaponry on your inner critic, telling your inner critic to fuck off, telling your inner critic to shut up. I can't stand you anymore. That tends to not be helpful. I have been doing this work for a long time. I've been teaching inner critic work for a very long time, and I have yet to meet somebody who uses that particular strategy and that works in managing their inner critic. It might, I mean, I don't know. My my guess might be that it might keep the thoughts at bay, but does that make you feel good about yourself? What tends to be the most helpful is neutrality, recognizing it, being neutral, I use the mantra, well, that just happened. (laughs) And also having self-compassion, being kind to yourself. And I know that for some of you listening, this might feel like a completely foreign concept. And I don't want you to feel like you have to jump from A to Z. So the neutrality and having self-compassion, you know, recognize it quickly, being in neutrality and then having self-compassion, that's really... Like you've graduated, you've graduated in inner critic work. So I don't want to make you think that, boom, you're going to listen to this podcast episode and then that's going to be it. That's a pretty common thing that I see that happens is where people realize kind of just how bad their negative self-talk is. And then they feel like shit about that. I call that the ultimate ass kicker where you beat yourself up for beating yourself up. By the way, there is, I have a an ebook and audio that is specifically on three tools that I use for the inner critic on how to manage your inner critic. So if you simply text the word kickass, all one word to 444-999, then you can go ahead and grab it there and it's really easy. Do you guys want to hear something funny real quick? Side note. (laughs) I was double checking to make sure that I had the right number, that 444-999, because it's been a minute since I've told you all about it. And I went to text the word kick ass to 444-999 and I texted the word lick ass, L-I-C-K-A-S-S. And I laughed so hard (laughs) all by myself in my office here. Oh my God. Speaking of pirate's booty, I thought that was funny. I hope you got a good laugh about that, but it's not lick ass. It's kick ass. Oh my gosh. K-I-C-K-A-S-S, all one word, to 444-999. And you can get your audiobook and ebook to read more about how to manage your inner critic. Okay. I got off track there for a second. Please hold. (laughs) Oh gosh. Well, I came here today not to make jokes, but to really help you around this topic. And what I also came here to do was to share some real stories from my own life about where my inner critic kind of kicks up. And I think that sometimes when we listen to people on podcasts or we read their self-help books, we can kind of think, well, I'm sure that so-and-so doesn't have these problems anymore. They're so evolved and, and have just kind of like kicked their inner critic to the curb and don't fall into these spirals that are really difficult that the rest of us muggles, you know, (laughs) have happened. And I'm here to tell you 
that no, I still have bouts of anxiety. I still have inner critic spirals. I still have compare and despair sometimes. So I'm going to tell you a few examples and uh, as well as exactly what it is that I do in order to manage that. There are some specific things that I have really experimented with and and it works. And I'm like, wow, this really, really can change your life. And what my life looked like before was pretty typical to what I hear in a lot of your stories when I meet you at events or you become my client or women in my programs or I read your applications or you message me on on Instagram. And it really was, I would compare myself constantly to other people, every category of my life. (laughs) It was my looks and my body. It was where I was in my career, how much money I have or didn't have, how much debt I had. Also my relationship status for a really long time. You know, I was in a relationship and wasn't married and um, just felt terrible about myself and my life based on my comparisons, and also beat myself up heavily for making mistakes. You know, if I would make a mistake at work, I would, I did a couple of things. My go-to was to fall into a shame spiral. And I typically would not tell anybody about it, especially if it was really bad. I wouldn't reach out to any of my friends. And if it was, it was just to blame the person who had done that to me. It was, you know, all their fault and how could they be so awful and what a bitch or what an asshole this person was. It was never about my feelings around it and feeling not good enough and inadequate and letting someone witness my pain. And also I was pretty combative. I don't know if that's the right word that I'm looking for. I would push back a lot and be argumentative and snarky and passive aggressive and sarcastic when I was in pain. And I didn't know how to have hard conversations that I felt good about. So it was typically a matter of of lashing out when I felt like I was backed into a corner or when I was feeling not good enough, I would turn the tables as best I could back around onto the other person, whoever that might be. It didn't really matter. I did it with most people in my life. So I tended to be really one or the other. I was a people pleaser to the point of then getting angry at the person that I wasn't just wasn't communicating with, that I couldn't say no to. I'd get mad at them. Or I was pretty angry and just not a nice person. So that's what it looked like in my life before I started doing this work. And then, you know, if you know my story, my life fell apart. And that's when I call, I took radical responsibility for my life and looked at the behaviors that I was doing, the decisions I was making, the words I was choosing, the thoughts I was choosing, the emotions I would fall into, really looking at what I had control over. And this was one of the many things was my inner critic. And it was so much freedom. I remember thinking like, holy shit, I don't have to put all of my happiness and fulfillment in other people anymore because that sure as shit wasn't working. I was able to do my best to be proud of the woman that I was, to be, to, you know, to live this life in alignment with someone. I wanted to admire the woman that I saw in the mirror and know that 
at least she was doing her very, very best. And at best, she was kicking ass in her life. So anyway, I got a little sidetracked there. That's how things used to look for me. I took radical responsibility for my life. Part of that was the way that I spoke to myself. And here's a quick caveat I want to mention, sort of circling back to what I was talking about a little while ago regarding when you kind of have this massive self-awareness of what's going on in your life, of you know what's going wrong and how, oh, I actually might have some responsibility there and I might have some control over how I behave. That can be... <laughs> That can sort of kick your ass. And what I want you to watch out for is going to that place of self-blame because I was there. What that looked like for me is having a lot of shame around the person that I was before. And I actually wrote a letter to myself. I'll find it and put it in the show notes. I think I've put it in the show notes before and mentioned it. I wrote a letter to my former self and part of it was about apologizing for being so hateful to my former self. And I was ashamed of how I I acted. But really when I sat down and thought about it, I truly was doing the best that I could. I truly was doing the best that I could. I was trying to get my needs met. I didn't know any other way. I didn't have any other tools. And that's just where I was. I had to go through what I went through in order to become the woman that I am now that you're listening to right now. So I say that because I hope that you have some compassion for yourself the whole time you're on this journey. I know self-compassion is kind of a one day at a time gig as all of this is, but I hope that you can find some self-compassion while you're going through this journey, specifically around learning to manage your inner critic. All right. So now I am happy and proud to say that my inner critic spirals are really few and far between. And I think that part of that is because a couple of things. A, I just won't fucking tolerate it anymore. I just am so done and have realized that that gets me absolutely nowhere. It gets me absolutely nowhere except feeling like shit. And I show up as a crappy human being to all the people around me. It just doesn't work. And I've realized that on a very real level, and it's just a no for me. It's a no for me. The other thing is, is that when it does happen, I am able to kind of beat it to the punch. In other words, I realize it so fast that it's happening. That's the thing is is when you do this work on the regular is that you recognize it so fast And, you know, you can be like, nope, not today. I don't even really, I don't know if I, if I have a really bad inner critic spiral, I'm going to use my mantra. My, My favorite mantra is, well, that just happened. That's what I say to myself when I find myself going into compare and despair and or inner critic land. That's what I say. But really it just, it starts to happen and it's almost like I do like a little whiplash. I mean, no, not really, but that's sort of like if I was a cartoon, that's what it would look like where I just see it so fast. And I want to tell you this too. I don't automatically start, I I don't automatically like turn my thoughts around and turn them into positive thoughts. I don't. Those come at a different time. I, when I am like in that place of inner critic, I will use my mantra or just recognize it very quickly and just go to a place of neutrality. So let me give you a couple of examples. It might be helpful if I, if I tell you a couple of real life examples. 
and forgive me if you've heard the story before, but it was, it was such a, a big one for me. Probably one of my biggest triggers is motherhood and work-life balance and really just kind of parenting in general, but more specifically work-life balance at times. And there was this one particular time, it was a few years ago, my son had just been diagnosed with autism and sensory processing disorder and anxiety disorder. And if you've ever been in that place with a child with special needs or you love a child with special needs, um, you might know what that feels like. And it can be all-consuming. The place I was in that this particular day was I was leaving an IEP meeting. And what this essentially is, it's um, a service provided by the public school district that allows for the best education for your child. What this looks like in the room is, and I, this is what it feels like as a parent. This is not at all like what the teachers and administrators set this up to be. But as a parent, and I've talked to other parents who have been in these meetings, it feels like, hey, come to this meeting where we're going to tell you all the things your kid is doing wrong, all the ways your kid is not like the other kids, all the ways that (laughs) are challenging and where you're going to feel like you're a failure as a mother and you're going to sign a bunch of papers. And those meetings, those meetings can be really great. Um, I've had great IEP meetings, thank goodness. And in the beginning, the first couple of years, probably the first three years, every IEP meeting, I felt like I had just gotten beat the shit out of. And it was really difficult. So I was in the car driving home and that particular meeting, usually my husband would go with me. And this particular meeting, I can't remember why it was going to be difficult, I think, for him to come. So I told him it was fine and that I could just handle it by myself. That was my first mistake. And I mean, first of all, side note, shout out to all the single parents out there who A, are just single parents in general, but also shout out to single parents of special needs children because you seriously deserve a medal for reals. Anyway, so I had gone to the meeting by myself and I was sitting in the car and I just started to spin. You know, sometimes when you're in the car and you're at a red light or you're on the freeway or you're in the shower or you're washing dishes, like when there's not a whole, where you're kind of on autopilot and then those are the most dangerous times. (laughs) Those can also be the most creative times when your brain starts to think creatively, but they can also be, I feel like the most dangerous times. And I started, and that was quick and dirty. My inner critic was like, you haven't even done one of those autism 10Ks you haven't donated to autism research. You haven't reached out to the organizations that can help you make sure that his IEP is best for him and that he's getting all the services that are available to him. Like this, it was just this litany of all the things that I had done wrong or all the things I had not done. And then immediately go into the place of, I should probably quit working. I should probably shut your kick-ass life down. And at this point I had already written my first book and (laughs) I was thinking like, I probably should, I should probably quit and just be a full-time mom because they both need me. My son clearly needs me and so does my daughter. And just I couldn't have been at that red light longer than one or two minutes. And I had just completely gone into this spiral. And 
I don't remember if it was when the light had turned green or something like shook me awake (laughs) from this unconscious inner critic spiral. And I just thought to myself, no, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. And I, I said it out loud because I needed something powerful to come out of my mouth that truly was in service of my best self. Because at that point, you know, I knew that like, I am not a better mom when I am beating myself up and feeling that badly. I am not a better partner to my husband when I'm feeling that badly. (laughs) I am not a better life coach when I'm feeling that badly. I know that it does not serve me. So I went down that path and I sort of like shook myself awake. So that's one example of, of how that looks. And really, you know, I can't honestly remember the details of the rest of that day. I probably felt like crap the rest of the day. Honestly, it was a hard day and it was a difficult meeting. And at this point, I just let myself feel the feelings of a difficult day. And I mean, even if for you, it's a really difficult meeting at work. Maybe your boss is a dick and or your partner was being not his or her best self and you just feel like shit that day. Just let yourself feel it. Let yourself, you know, go into that little bit of an inner critic storm. Do whatever it is that you need to do to pull yourself out, whether that's just the awareness of, well, that just happened, or maybe you want to try positive affirmations. Because again, I'm not going to tell you, like if that works for you, woman, by all means, go and do that. The point I'm trying to make is my hope is that you become aware quickly that it's happening. The other trigger that I have still to this day is relationships. I have yet, well, maybe there's like one or two of you listening. who don't have relationship triggers. I just think you get to a certain age in your life and you have some family of origin trauma or drama, or you have had your heart broken by a partner or a friend even, and you might have some trust issues. And we tend to bring resolved and especially unresolved trauma into our current relationships. So as most of you know, I entered this relationship. I mean, how do I even describe it? (laughs) It's pretty bad, y'all. And I knew it going in. And I honestly don't think I knew how bad it was until Jason and I got more serious And I found myself being more, you know, when you're more invested in a relationship, when things happen, you get hurt, you get triggered really bad. And that's where I was like, oh, snap, this is, this is probably, um, you know, something I still need to work on. So of course I took my happy ass back to therapy, worked and worked and worked. And long story short, what I realized a few years into my marriage was that anytime my current husband remotely does anything close that resembles the behavior of my ex, even if there was no... So for instance, I think I told this story in my second book. My husband and I got into an argument. This was probably about three or four years ago. We had just moved into this house and we got into an argument. I don't even remember what it was about. And my husband is the type of person, we've worked this out in therapy. It's really cute now what we do, but I'm the type who I want to talk about everything right now and get it resolved. And he's the type who needs some time to chew on his feelings and think about everything, process what I have said, 
he needs time apart and then come back and talk about it. Before we nailed this down to what works for us in couples therapy, he would just leave. He would just get in his car and go for a drive. And he did that this one time. And I was so fucking triggered. Even my dog is getting up right now. And (laughs) you probably feel my energy as I tell this story. I was shook. And I immediately went down to the spiral of he's leaving me and I'm going to get divorced again. I was sitting on on the couch in our front. We have this front room and I'm sitting on the couch looking out the window, contemplating, like not just contemplating, but planning my life as a single mother. I was thinking about what apartment complexes are close enough for me to move into. I was, a couple of things were happening in that moment. It's easier for me to think about that planning than it is my feelings, but also I was incredibly triggered. I automatically went to that place of this is it, we're done because of this one specific thing that he did. Never in our argument did he say that he wasn't coming back. Never did he say that he wanted to split up. Never did he say that he wanted to separate. And never did he say, I don't want to look at your face right now. Like nothing, nothing of the sort. But it's one of my things that I'm just like, ah, totally went down the spiral. And my inner critic went nutso in the butso telling me that, see, I'm terrible at relationships. I am so difficult to be with (laughs) that this inevitably would happen. Obviously this would happen because I'm so bad at being a wife. And it's really interesting, you know, that story that I just told is specifically tied to trauma. My relationship before, and it took me a long time to really believe my therapist and my doctor who told me that what had happened to me is trauma. And side note, there's a few side notes on this episode. Side note, trauma, there's, it is such a wide spectrum, but trauma is anything that happens to you where you do not have healthy coping mechanisms to deal with what is happening. That is trauma. And once I really surrendered to that and was like, okay, what happened to me was traumatic and I need to do some active healing on that and really look at my triggers and what happens and learn tools to walk myself through those moments and talk myself through those moments. And also it became um, an agreement that my husband and I had to come to where I had to be extremely vulnerable with him and say, I can respect, and and please know that this took like the um, help of a therapist to come out. I wasn't just like, this evolved. <laughs> but basically the message was, I understand that you need your time to process things. And also I need you to know that when you do that without letting me know, with like no you know, no communication, I immediately am extremely triggered. And it's very, very painful for me. And I think part of being in relationships is knowing each each other's triggers and doing your best to try to avoid that in the other person. That's for a whole nother topic. And I need a therapist to come on to talk about that because that's very nuanced. However, I'm just saying like in this particular instance, it really became a matter of us talking about it in therapy and her helping us through that to respect each other's, the way that we process things and also come to some kind of agreement about how we are going to proceed in moments like that. It helped tremendously. All right. So I kind of got sidetracked there talking about the inner critic, but my point is, is that you know when you are in it. And also that second story was more about triggers. 
it can be very, very helpful to know what your triggers are so that when they happen, you know very quickly what's happening. It took me only a few minutes, referring to that second example that I gave you, it took me only a few minutes of being in that place before I kind of came to my senses and was like, wait a minute, he never said that. He never said that he was leaving. Okay, I just got completely and totally triggered. And the last thing I want to talk to you about is, you know, and tools for managing your inner critic and tools for managing your triggers too, is to have a support system. So have someone there's this whole jargon that we use in my in my mentorship program about this, a whole module on this, but it's about finding what I called your compassionate witness in my second book, if you read How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, your compassionate witness, the person that you can come to where, you know, if you have that really hard day at work or with parenting or whatever, like that first example I gave, you can call that person and say, I had the worst freaking meeting today about my kid or at work. And it made me feel like shit. And I went down to the spiral and, and I know, you know, and, and, and it really is about that person not fixing it for you. Chapter three, I believe it is the isolation and hiding out chapter. I go specifically into this. So cue that up on, on your audiobook or pull out the book and read it. I talk about a compassionate witness and how to ask for what you need, but it's those moments because you might get somebody who wants to fix it for you. And that's not typically what you need. Sometimes we we are looking for advice, but typically we just want to be seen and heard in our pain, in our struggle. So that's my hope as well for you is that you have that compassionate witness that you can turn to in times of inner critic shit storms or when you've been triggered and you feel really, really alone and in a glass case of emotions because boy, do I know what that feels like. Okay. So to summarize, this goes for most tools in personal development, but it starts with paying attention, paying attention to your thoughts, paying attention to how you're speaking to yourself, paying attention to the places that you go when things get really difficult and catching it as quickly as possible and being consistent as possible to make your new choices, behaviors, thoughts, making that a new habit. Because essentially you're creating new neural pathways in your brain. That is how it works. If you struggle with negative self-talk, then those pathways have been created. The really good news is that you can create new neural pathways in your brain. And I know that's what I've done to where you catch it very quickly and you do not go down those seemingly never ending spirals of negative self-talk. All right. All right. I hope that was helpful for you. Again, this is definitely something we go in depth with and that I help people with if they need more in-depth help in the mentorship masterclass, yourkickasslife.com slash mentorship. That is also in the show notes for you. And thank you so much for spending time with me today. I'm always so incredibly honored that you spend your time with me. I have an amazing interview coming up next week. I'm really excited to share with you. And until next time, Ask Kickers, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 